All right, make some noise for Jesus one time in the place. Come on. Oh, my goodness. You can be seated. You can be seated. Oh, my goodness. That was a hype worship time. How many of y'all are with me? Make some noise for the band. Leading us into the presence of God like that, I love it. It's absolutely, positively awesome. Uh, like Pastor said, my name is Terry Parkman. I'm not, like, he could lower the bar to, like, Andrew or Judas, right? <laughs> like, uh, like, then you guys are like, oh, I'm impressed now. I ain't like Jesus. I'm not even that close, but you get it. Hey, I just want to give honor where honor is due. Pastor Dusty, the OG who started this conference, give it up. <laughs> Woo! Pastor Mike and Carly, thank you guys so much for having me out. It is truly a privilege. I have been pumped about this time here together. Um, you guys are looking good. Even after no sleep last night, y'all are looking good. Look at your friend, look him up and down and say, you're looking good this morning. Yeah. Now I want you to look at the friend that you didn't look at today. Look him up and down. Go ahead, look at that ratchet friend. You know who they are. Look him up and down. Say you look all right today, too. Yo, how many of you know you could be righteous and a little ratchet, you know? You know what I'm saying? Can I get an amen? There it is. Oh, man, it's so great. It's so great. I have my family in the house today, my wife, Christina, my two little girls, Avali and Nova. My, my daughter's raising her hand over there. I love them to death. Man, my little girls are like a ray of sunshine mixed with a Category 5 hurricane, you know? You don't know what you're going to get. How many ladies in the place feel that? You're like, yes, today, today I'm sunshine, but just try me. I wish you try me right now. Those are my girls. Just crazy attitude. Like back in the day, I would put my oldest up on the sink to try to do her hair, and I would be trying to do a braid, and I'd say, okay, I'm going to do a braid. She goes, Daddy, can you do a French braid? I'm like, I can't even do an English braid. What are you talking about? And she rolls her eyes, and I'm like, that's how sin is real, right there. Don't you roll your eyes. Don't you roll your eyes at me. My wife and I, we've been married 18 years. I mean, come on, 19 in December. And it's awesome. Like, when we first met, her parents did not like me at all. Like, some of you fellas, there's hope. There's hope. We dated for four years, not because your boy couldn't commit, because her parents didn't like me. That movie, Meet the Parents, was my life. It wasn't even funny. I cried watching that movie. It's true. Like, after we got engaged, sorry, baby, I'm just outing your family now. After we got engaged, like, her mom's like, I'm so happy you're engaged. Have you ever heard of eHarmony? I'm like, come on, a dating website. So when I put that ring on her finger, I looked at her parents. I'm like, I got you, girl, now, you know? So there is hope. You know, after we were married, we went, to, uh, we went on a honeymoon to Hawaii. And I remember um, driving around with all this money we didn't have. We went to Hawaii. And we were driving around. We saw all these properties, like super, super expensive properties right? And I'd be like, baby, surprise, that's my wedding gift to you. She's like, you're going to be a pastor. You're broke. I know that, right? But it made me think to myself, I wonder what the most valuable piece of property in the world is today. And so after we got home, I Googled it, and there's this blog by this guy named Todd Henry, and it's called Die Empty. And he said the most valuable piece of property in the world today is not the oil fields in the Middle East. The most valuable piece of property is not the property that Disney sits on, the most valuable piece of property is not found on Manhattan Island. No, the most valuable piece of property found in the world today is a graveyard. Because buried in every graveyard is every unwritten song. 
Buried in every graveyard is every unreconciled relationship. Buried in every graveyard is every dream that didn't come true. Buried in every graveyard is potential. And he goes on to say this, that if everything from that graveyard could have been released in life, we would have seen Jesus come back much sooner and this world transformed. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to die with potential still inside of me. I want to die empty, amen? I want to have released that today. So what I want to do is I want to say a prayer over this room today, and then we're going to get it. Look at your friends say, we're going to get it today. Jesus, thank you so much for this room. God, make our hearts open. God, I pray that you make me your mouthpiece. God, speak your words through me, and let us be transformed when we leave this place. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, that's the, just, that's the thing about potential. You know, you, potential is just potential. I remember back in the day, people were saying, Terry, you got, you got a lot of potential. It's awesome that you have all this potential. I'm like, yeah, I got potential. Did you hear that? I got potential. But what they were really saying is, Terry, you have a lot of almost in you. You have a lot of not yet. You're not quite there in you. And the thing about potential is this, all this ability, all this investment, all these gifts from God, not yet released. Not like you look at Kobe, right? Michael Jordan was the best. Hey, okay, but Kobe, ah, okay, Kobe. If he never would have touched a basketball, it doesn't matter how much potential he had to be great, right? If you look at Michelangelo, the painter, not the Ninja Turtle, if he never would have picked up a paintbrush, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel would have never taken, been, been painted, and that potential would have perished inside of him. The reality is this is that you are a generation that has to release potential. And you can't, just like it was said by Cody on the stage, you can't wait for your tomorrow because other people can't wait for you to get to your tomorrow. you got to make a decision today to say, I'm going to release this potential no matter the cost that's in front of me. Amen? And so today, that's what I want to talk about. What it's going to take to release that potential because here's the reality. We are all called to declare Jesus to the world around us no matter the cost. You know, your generation, Generation Z, is called the greatest generation in human history. The greatest generation in human history. I don't know if you know that. Your generation is the most numerous generation in human history. It's the most ethnically diverse generation in human history. Amen to that, right? It is the most entrepreneurial generation in history, the most innovative generation in history. And might I say, your generation is the best-looking generation in history. How many of y'all can get down with that? Woo! Man! Back, back in my day, kids were ugly. Come on, Pastor Dusty. You know what I'm saying, man. Back in my day, we were hideous. You guys got these braces that people don't notice. They're like back when we, we had braces. Like they wrapped around your head. And it made you talk like this the whole time, you know. My wife had braces for like 22 years. It was crazy. No, I'm kidding. Not 22 years. But you guys are a good-looking generation. I mean, for decades, God's people have been praying for God to raise up a generation that would take the gospel of Jesus Christ and usher in the greatest spiritual awakening in the history of the human race. And I say, why shouldn't that generation be this generation today? Why not now and why not you? You know, God is going to do a brand new thing. In Isaiah 43, 19, it says, for I am about to do a brand new thing and you are that brand new thing. You know, when the world prays for God to do something, he answers those prayers with the people sitting in this room today. That when they have been praying for years for God to do something, he says, I'm going to answer your prayers with the people that are going to be sitting at Reveal Conference in 2022. You are the answer to prayers, and God is doing a brand new thing through you and in you. He says, for see, I'm about to do a brand new thing. I have already begun. Do you not see it? 
When you think of walking out of this place and being different and moving different and living different, when you think of coming out, walking out of this place different from the way you were when you walked in, what do you think of? Do you think of an upgraded version of your best yesterday? Because often when we say, hear God say, I'm going to do a new thing, we think of our best yesterday, multiply it by 10, give it a little upgrade and call that the new thing. But here's the reality. It can't be compared to yesterday because yesterday has never been where you're about to go. New means new. You're not going to be able to follow those patterns because God is doing a new thing in your heart and in this generation. Give God praise in the place today. But it won't happen until you release that potential inside of you. It won't happen. You can't put potential on a resume. You can't stand before God with potential. It's only going to be the things that you've released in your life, the things that God has invested in you that you release that's going to count in your life. And you can't let it stay in you. And I know many of us, we let that potential stay bottled up in our hearts. we got to lid on that potential in our life because other people might have spoken into that potential and said it's not worthy of anything. People might have looked at you and said, who do you think you are? People might have said to you, or you might have said to yourself in the mirror, even this morning, ah, I'm not all that. And it puts a lid on top of us. You know, there's this great uh, science experiment that I saw back in the day. It's how scientists trained fleas. How scientists would train fleas, because fleas have amazing jumping power. Amazing jumping power. Look, if, if we could jump as high as a flea, if we had the same jumping power, we could jump 900 feet in the air. LeBron who? Like, we would be... We'd be soaring, right, if we, had, if we were able to have that jumping power. And the reason they wanted to train fleas not to jump is because if they couldn't jump, they couldn't get on animals, and then they would just die out, right? They wouldn't have no, any way to live. And so they said, no, you know what, let's train fleas. So what they did, here's what happens, is they take a jar, and they pour fleas into the jar, and they put a lid on the jar, and they leave them in there for three days, and initially the fleas are jumping. And you could hear them hitting their little flea heads up against the bottom of the lid, like boom, 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 boom. But on day two, you only hear a couple of them hitting their little flea heads on that lid. By day three, the fleas are still jumping, but they're jumping just high enough so they don't hit their head. Why? Because the pain of their limitation keeps them from jumping as high as they can. Dang, right? Think about that. The pain of their limitation keeps them from jumping as high as they can. And at the end of those three days, the scientists take the lid off and they pour the fleas out. And not only do the fleas keep jumping in the same formation of the jar, but they don't jump higher than the lid, even though the lid isn't there anymore. Because self-preservation kicks in, the pain of jumping as high as the potential inside of you is greater than the need to release that potential. And so you just sit under status quo. And that's what these fleas did. They knew they had the potential because here's the deal. If they couldn't jump high, they couldn't get on an animal. If they couldn't get on an animal, they couldn't eat. And if they can't eat, then they can't live. And they would rather die falling under status quo than ju jump through the pain and be the people, or be the people, be the fleas that God had created them to be. And it's kind of the same in our life. You see, the greatest lie that the devil can ever sell you is that you can't grow any higher than the limit above you. The greatest lie that the devil can ever sell you is that you can't grow any higher than the limit above you. You see, the devil puts something in your life that limits God, your God-given ability, like a relationship, bad relationship, like an addiction, like problem running your mouth with gossip, like depression, like anxiety, like the words of others. 
And then he tricks you into believing that limit in your life so that even though eventually when that limit is removed, even if you see that that limit is there, you'll be afraid to try to jump as high as God has created you to jump because you're going to be afraid of potential pain. Ah, man, if I could release this generation from the lids in their life, what would happen in this world today? It's a lid that tries to contain you, to try to say, this has to stay here. This can't leave this place. You are only somebody who can pursue God in the confines of these four walls, but don't you dare do it when you leave this space. That's what those limits tell you. And you know the crazy thing in that experiment is not only did those fleas accept their limit, but their offspring, their offspring didn't jump any higher than the limits of their parents. Do you know that living beneath your potential can be passed on? Living beneath, it doesn't just sit with you. We're like, well, so what if I live beneath my potential? There's other people around me who will break those limits, but what if they see you not doing it and have permission to do the same? Your life is not just about you. This is called the body of Christ, not the finger of Christ, right? You are a whole body of Christ, and one, the way one moves, the whole body moves. And in one way, if you are like, you know what, I am going to sit beneath my potential. I am going to sit beneath that lid. Other people who are looking to you for an example are going to say, that's the way it is to be a Christian, so I'm only going to jump this high too. And God in heaven is screaming, no! That's not how you live for me. I have created you to be limitless. Something has to break in your life. So let's do it here today in this place this morning. You don't have to wait for an altar call at night. You can get it done here and now. So tonight you hear about next steps from God. That's the greatest lie that the devil could ever sell you. You see, he gets you to believe in your fears. In 2 Timothy 1, 7, it says, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a discipline and a sound mind. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of love and a sound mind. That's why we're so miserable living in fears, because it's not a spirit that God has given us. We take our fears before the throne of God. I wonder how many times I prayed prayers of fear and I prayed with a spirit that God didn't give me. You know, I remember there was a, um, a time in my life I was afraid of what was coming next. And I would be praying, God, God, why am I here? God, why am I working through this? God, why is this so hard? God, why am I in this family? God, why is this ahead of us? And I would be upset and I would be frustrated about it until God said, Terry, shut up. Has God ever told you just to shut up, right? Just stop. That friend that you get annoyed at because they talk too much, that's you with God sometimes, all right? And he's like, Terry, shut up. And I got mad. I was like, What? And God's like, Terry, shut up. Don't you think I knew that you'd be in this situation today and yet I still put you in this situation? Don't you think I knew that you'd be going through hard times, but that's no excuse to serve me part-time, Terry? Don't you know that I got something greater for you? So how about you shut your mouth and stop complaining and start praying with the spirit I did put in you? And I said, God, God, I thank you that you have placed me in this moment. I changed my attitude real quick. I said, God, thank you for placing me in this moment. Thank you for transforming me. Thank you for changing me. God, I know that this mountain is not here to take me out, but you have invested in me your power so that this mountain has to fall. And my prayers went from prayers of fear to prayers of power and love and a sound mind. And to this day, I will not pray a prayer of fear again. But don't you know that's what limits do to you? They make you pray these prayers of fear. And so you're miserable. If, miserable. if fear was part of our DNA, we wouldn't be miserable when we felt it. And yet here we are. We're supposed to live from a place of power, love, and a sound mind. You know, in this experiment where all these fleas accepted their limits, there was one flea that didn't get the memo. They called it flea zero. 
And Flea Zero kept hitting his little head up against that jar. And after three days, they poured him out. All these other fleas accepted their limits, but Flea Zero just kept jumping just as high as it did. And they're like, stupid flea. They put it in the jar for five days, poured it out, kept jumping high. Poured it out, put it in a, a jar again for, uh, what was it, eight days. Poured it out, and the flea kept jumping high. And they're like, there's something wrong with this flea. And a scientist said, maybe there's something right with this flea. Let's introduce it to a group of fleas that have already accepted their limits. So they put flea zero in a group of limited fleas, and within one hour, the rest of the fleas remembered what it was to jump as high as God had created them to do. In the same way that you can accept your limits and live in a place of fear and stuff that potential inside of you in the same way that you can pass on that fear. It's viral fear. The same way you can pass on that fear and get other people to accept it. If today you make a decision to break your limits, to heck, to heck with the limitations and the pain, I'm gonna break my limits, and then you stand in a group of people that have accepted theirs, they're gonna watch you and say, oh, that's how you do it. That's how you break your limits. I'm gonna do what they're doing because that's what God has created me to do. Which one are you going to be when you walk out of this room today? Because you can't wait till tonight. You can't wait till after Chick-fil-A. You can't wait until lunch. You can't wait until you get home. You got to make the decision here today. You know, when I think of somebody like this in the Bible who has allowed ceilings to break in their life, I think of a man, his name is Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus is a unique individual, and I think this story is unique because it took place during the time of Jesus' ministry on earth. Jesus is out. He's raising people from the dead. He's doing miracles. He's healing people. All these awesome things are happening. But this is one of the few stories in the Bible where Jesus is on the scene, but he almost takes a step back so that humanity can shine the way he intended it to. It's not like Jesus is saying, I'm nothing. He's just saying, look, I want this person to show you to be the example of what it's like to break limits in your life. And so here we have the story of Bartimaeus. It's found in Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. And it says this. And so they reached Jericho. And later, as Jesus and his disciples left town, a great crowd was following. And a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road as Jesus was going by. And when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus from Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout out, Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. Be quiet, some of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard him, he stopped and he said, tell him to come here. And so they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said, come on, he's calling you. And Bartimaeus threw aside his cloak. We're going to come back to that later. He threw aside his cloak. He jumped up and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus said. Teacher, the blind man said, I want to see and Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has healed you, and instantly the blind man could see. Now, the story is significant because in light of his condition, and in light of the face of the crowds that tried to hush him, in spite of his social status, the family he came from, his malady that afflicted him, Bartimaeus broke rank. He broke the barrier between the natural and supernatural and became the man, of God, the man that God had created him to be, and in response... Jesus asks him one question, and it's a question he's asking each of you here today. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want? What do you want me to do for you? Jesus is walking up and down the nosebleed sections. He's going through the rows here, and he's looking each of you in the heart. And he's saying, what do you want me to do for you? 
You got one shot. Jesus was passing by one time, Bartimaeus. He had one shot. He could have sat back and said, oh, next time, next time. If it's God's will, maybe Jesus will come by again. It was God's will. Jesus is there now. And Jesus is here now. Some of you are like, well, if this is really God's will, somebody will ask me to do the same thing. No, it's God's will. He's here today. And he's asking you the question, what do you want me to do for you? Your answer has to be something that breaks these limits off your life. And only you and God know what those limits are. And you got to be honest with yourself. Some of you are like, I'm unlimited. I'm hard. Nobody can touch me. I'm, I, I got, I'm releasing potential. No, you're not. You're living in mom's basement. Let's be honest. Like, let's, <laughs> I'm playing. Let's be honest. We're all in this place to where we have limits in our life. And we have to be these individuals that say, God, this is what I want you to do for me. You got one shot. If you're a pastor, are you asking for a bigger ministry or more resources or a bigger budget? If you're a student in this place, are you asking God to make you more popular or give you a girlfriend? Look, I don't know if Jesus can help you with that. But, like, are you asking God to do things that are tangible, things that are possible? Or are you asking Jesus for the impossible? The one thing in your life that will make you different from the way you were when you walked in. What are you asking Jesus for when he says, what do you want me to do for you? You see, the very first thing that Bartimaeus did is he shattered his ceiling. He looked beyond the circumstances. And students, you got to look beyond your circumstances. You see, Bartimaeus, before he got his miracle, was a poster boy for low limits in his life. He felt neatly in line with what society said were acceptable parameters for a man of his condition. He was a blind beggar. He was a three-strike individual, number one. He was blind. And you're like, what's wrong with being blind? Look, nothing today, but back in that day, if you're blind, you couldn't work. And if you couldn't work, you had no career. And if you didn't have a career, you had no identity. So therefore, you were an outcast. You were a nobody. Strike one. You might be in this place today to where you're saying, my identity is, is not attached to anything. My identity is not attached to something that I could put my hands to. My identity isn't anything that God has given me, and I don't even know what that is. I'm, I'm wandering aimlessly, and I need that identity today. You might be that person in this room like Bartimaeus. So strike one, he's blind. Strike two, he had no name. And you're like, look, Pastor Terry, what do you mean he had no name? His name was Bartimaeus. Look, Bartimaeus literally means son of Timaeus. He was such a nobody that people didn't even bother to learn his name. Like, they knew who his dad was. They maybe knew what his dad did, but this kid, he's nobody. We're not even going to remember his name. He's just the son of Timaeus. To where they remembered him and identified him as so, through somebody else's successes. And many of us are living in the shadow of things, living in the shadow of people, identifying ourselves according to somebody else's successes when God is saying, I want to release your potential and give you that today. Strike one, he's blind. Strike two, he had no name. But strike three, this man was a beggar. You see, when you're a beggar back in Jesus' day, you had to go to the Roman office. The Roman was, Rome was a country that ran Israel that, in that day. And you had to go to the Roman office. You had to go to the government office. And you had to prove that you needed to beg for money or else you die. And once they saw you were somebody who could be a, a, a safe beggar, they would give you a cloak. And it was called a beggar's cloak. And you would put that beggar's cloak over your shoulders and you would go sit on a place called Beggar's Row and you would sit down with other beggars on the curb and you would beg for money. So when people walk by and they hear you saying, have mercy on me, what, which is what all beggars said, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And what they were saying is, give me money, give me money, give me money, give me money. They're saying, have mercy on me. Then somebody looks at you and they're like, oh, you got a beggar's cloak, sure. But if you didn't have that beggar's cloak, 
then nobody would give you money. And if you said, have mercy on me too loud, if you disrupted the status quo, if you caused chaos through your shouting, if you said, have mercy on me, a Roman official would come over and take away your cloak and you would never have an opportunity to beg again. So here's the son of Timaeus, a nameless, sightless, homeless beggar who fell neatly in line with what society set, was comfortable with. He was a nobody, and he was left to sit quietly on the sidelines while other people got to live their lives. And I think that's what many of us do here today. We allow the limitations of what society says are the acceptable parameters of somebody in our state, and somebody in our condition, and somebody of our generation. And we say, you know what, I'm gonna just fall neatly in line with, and sit on the sidelines of what society says is acceptable. And so we sit there and we scroll social media and we compare our lives to the people who are breaking their limits. And we're comparing our lives to everybody else around us. And we're comparing our lives, but all we're doing is we're sitting on the sidelines of society watching the world pass us by. And God has called us to more. Look, this is a generation that says that we want to rewrite the story, that we want to live our own destinies, that we want to blaze our own trails. So what do we do? We compare. We go on social media and we see how others have done the thing that God has called us to do. Leaders, I'm here to tell you today. Students, I'm here to tell you today. Stop comparing. Pastors, stop comparing. Students, stop comparing. Youth leaders, stop comparing. Why? Because you were not created in the image of other people. You were not created in the image of Justin or Kanye or Drake or Kim. You were not created in the image of some church-famous celebrity on the platform or worship team. You were created in the image of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, so let's stop comparing today. Besides, like I said, you can't compare yourself to others anymore because others have never been where God is about to take you. You can't compare yourself to others anymore because others on your screen have never been where God is about to take you. That's why God is going to use you today. Because he has created you with the potential to jump higher than you think is possible, to break limits that other people have gone to the grave with, to show this world what it's like to live free, to live with God, to live as a people God has created us to be. And you can't do it accepting what the world says you should be sitting on the sidelines. I love how 1 Corinthians 1.27 says this, isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits. Look, culture is such a buzzword today. Being the culture, living the culture, conforming to the culture, aligning with the culture. Culture isn't God, Christ is God. And so many of us try to become in love with the Christian culture more than the Christ of our culture. I wanna challenge you today, culture is not God and whatever it writes is not the word of God, it's not the Bible. God has written his law on your hearts and has given you his word. So I'm glad that God deliberately chose men and women that culture overlooks and exploits and abuses, that God chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. Look, there are people that want you to keep your limits in place, but I say to you, disrupt society today. Shake them out of their comfort zones. Drive them to the feet of Jesus because God is gonna use you because you're here and you're saying, here am I, send me. Use me to change the world, God. Your decision, your place in all this is to answer Jesus at the end of this message when we all come up, when he asks you the question, what do you want me to do for you? Your job today is to answer that question. So day in and day out, Bartimaeus is sitting on the curb 
clanking his cup around with a few coins in it saying, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Remember, you had to be quiet. Remember, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Until one day, Bartimaeus shatters his ceilings when the sound of the Savior coming falls upon Bartimaeus' ears. Bartimaeus breaks his limits and he goes where other people on that curb weren't willing to go. On that day when the sound of the Savior fell on Bartimaeus' ears, the pleas of a nobody melts away into the cries of a somebody as he screams from the top of his lungs, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus, man, be quiet. No, you be quiet. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus, shut up, man. You shut up and your mama needs to shut up too. Bartimaeus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And as the comfort zones gave away to desperation, Bartimaeus bombarded God's attention with his prayers. I can imagine a Roman officer marching over, all the people on the curb trying to scoot away from Bartimaeus, and Bartimaeus is like, that is my plan A. This cloak is plan B, and I'm getting rid of my plan B because this is the only way I have to go today. Have mercy on me for money. Turn it to have mercy on me for my future, for my soul, to break my limits. And as he became desperate, his heart was positioned to answer Jesus when he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Look, when you're trying to get God's attention, you can't listen to the crowd. He's sitting there trying to get Jesus' attention and people are trying to shut him up. They're trying to shut him down. They're trying to say, you got nothing else. You better be quiet, boy. Don't you know that people are going to take this cloak away from you? Don't you know what people are going to say about you? Don't you know you're going to be even more of an outcast than just us? Don't you know? And Bartimaeus in his heart was like, don't you know that I serve the one true God? Don't you know that he holds a blueprint for my life? Don't you know that he is right in front of me? Don't you know that I can't sit here silent when the world needs what's inside of me? Don't you know? And that has to be your anthem as well. When the world tries to shut you down, look, you can't listen to the crowd. You can't listen to the lies of the enemy. You can't listen to the limitation of your world. You can't listen to the size of your budget, and you can't listen to the talent in your heart. You have to listen to Jesus Christ because that is sometimes what it takes to get it. I want the worship team to come back up. So here's Bartimaeus persisting and shouting and disturbing the peace and not giving a care who notices. It's what Jesus encourages us to do. Jesus loved that. Jesus loved that Bartimaeus was beaten down the door of heaven. Jesus loved it, and it's what he encourages us to do in Luke eleven nine, 9, where he says, keep on asking, and it'll be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. Keep it on, some of us. Like, like, no, Jesus is saying, like, keep knocking, keep annoying me, keep annoying me, keep annoying me. Tell me more, tell me more. Nobody likes that. What he's saying is when you knock and make a request and I don't answer, if you keep knocking, eventually your request is in line with my will and then I will answer. But how many of us, when Jesus is walking by, when we need a miracle from God, we pray like this. Hello? Jesus. Oh, no, you're not home? Okay, cool, no problem. Yeah, man, I don't know why Jesus didn't answer my prayer. I prayed, but he didn't answer my prayer. Because you're praying like a Girl Scout who doesn't want people to buy her cookies, man. That's why you're praying. No, 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 those Girl Scouts are ruthless when they're coming after your money. They're like, sir, I know. I, I, I've seen pictures of you. You like cookies. Come answer this door. I had abs, now I got flabs, okay? So here we are. 
I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't know where that came from. But here we are. And G, we're praying, Jesus, Jesus, will you, will, will, you, will you answer my prayer? No, okay. What Jesus wants you to do is to keep knocking, to keep asking, to keep seeking him until he, your ask lines up with his will. For example, God, I want you to have, help everybody say yes when I invite them to youth ministry because I want it to look like I got more friends. Okay. Not quite aligned with God's will, keep asking. All right, I'm going to come back again. God, I pray that my friends start coming to youth group on, a, on Wednesday or on Sunday or whenever you have it. That my friends start coming back to youth ministry, start coming with me to youth ministry so that they could be in a Christian culture and be influenced in the right way. Almost. Okay, I'm going to keep knocking. Then God, I pray that my friends say yes because they have sin in their hearts and they need that sin stripped from their souls and you're the only one that could do it. Let them forget about me, but let them remember you, God. Let them say yes when I invite them. And now Jesus is saying, there it is. Your knock aligns your heart with God's will. And Jesus has been asking many of you here today, what do you want me to do for you? And you're, you're like, you're missing it just by a couple inches. And you don't knock much past a small, tiny, quiet knock at the beginning. But we got to be like Bartimaeus. When we get in Jesus' face, we got to be like Bartimaeus when he comes up on the scene. We got to be like Bartimaeus at the altar saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. He might have been asking for money the first time, but by the last time he was asking for a transformation in his life because he didn't stop. He kept knocking. He kept seeking. He kept asking. And that's what it takes for us to get the things that God wants us to do. So Jesus sees Bartimaeus, and he looks at him, and he says, tell him to come here. And his friends are like, all right, cheer up. You're shooting your shot. He wants you. Go, go ahead. And the Bible doesn't say that Bartimaeus is like, cool, I'm going to tighten this cloak. I'm going to pick up my money. I'm going to pick up my bedroll. All right, Jesus, okay, what I need you to do. No, the Bible says that when Jesus said, tell him to come to me, Bartimaeus stood up, he took off that cloak, he threw that cloak down, and he moved forward to Jesus because his yesterdays could no longer hold him back from his tomorrows. <laughs> Students, leaders, don't walk into the presence of God with yesterday's problems on your shoulders. Don't you know when you seek the kingdom of God first, he takes care of everything else? As it says in the book of Matthew. Many of us are saying, I'm coming to that altar right now. When he gives me the word, I'm coming to the altar. But you're coming to the altar carrying all, your, all the things that used to define you when he has new definition for you. Bartimaeus abandoned that cloak and he knew, look, if I throw this down in the presence of everybody, I can't go back. There is no plan A. God is my plan A. There is no back door. I'm burning my back doors. There is only Jesus and he's straight ahead and he is the only one that could change my life. If it's not him, then it's nothing for me. If it's not Jesus and it's not anything in my life, I need Jesus in my life. And on that day, Bartimaeus moved from accepting the limits, from hitting his head up against that lid in his life and accepting his limits because of the pain of that lid. And he said, you know what, I'm gonna bust through this. I don't care what pain comes my way. Every, by the way, students, every time you break a limit, it comes with pain, but on the other side is victory. Always victory. Because Jesus' very name is victory and he's always on the other side of the lid in your life. He's like, I'm gonna break this limit here today. And he walks up to Jesus, no cloak, no bedroll, no money, 
He just walks up to Jesus, hands empty, because look, you can't receive anything if you got stuff in your hands. He emptied those hands. And he comes up to Jesus with hands open. And Jesus asks him the question, the same question that he's asking each and every single one of you here today. What do you want me to do for you? Here in a moment, you're going to have an opportunity to answer that question, not in your seats, but as a front, as the worship team goes in. And you need to make the decision to walk out of this place different from the way you were when you walked in. What this world doesn't need is another generation that accepts its limits. It needs an entrepreneurial, innovative, ethnically diverse generation to lead the way. The generation that me, we as leaders have been praying for are sitting in this room. That's the generation we've been praying for. You are it. You are an answer to prayer. But you will be like previous generations that hesitated where you should have pioneered in your life. So all across this room, I want you to stand to your feet. And we're going to be like Bartimaeus. And I want you to hold up a cloak in your hand right now. Go ahead. Put a cloak in your hand. Hold it up in air. That cloak is what you walked in here with. That cloak is what was around your shoulders. That cloak is the very thing that people know you as. And you know that if you throw that cloak away, that you are defined now as what God has created you to be and not what the rest of the world knows you to be. You gotta make that decision today. And when you answer this altar call, you can't come up with that cloak in the hands. And so right now, close your eyes, keep that cloak in the air, and I want you to put all your fears, all your concerns, everything that defines you on that cloak. All the anger that you struggled with, all the lust that you struggled with, pornography. Girls, defining yourself by body image, not as a woman and the queen of God he's made you to be. Guys, defining yourself by what the world calls masculinity and not what God calls masculinity. Look, there are, uh, there are opportunities here today to walk out of this place to that new creation. So put everything in that cloak. I'm going to give it a couple more minutes. Fear, bitterness, anger, comparison, contempt. Oh yeah, throw all your hopes and your joys and your dreams in that because God is going to triple that when you, when you come up front. He's going to give you new joy and new dreams and new visions. Go ahead, put it all in that cloak. Here in a minute, I'm going to pray. And when I say amen, we're going to scream out three times, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And on the third time, we're going to throw down the cloak, we're going to run up front, and we're going to answer the question that Jesus is asking us, what do you want me to do for you? So cloaks in air, here we go. God, I thank you so much that you have called this generation to greatness, that you have called this generation to live as those men and women of God you have created them to be. Where other generations have hesitated, you are calling them to pioneer. You are calling them to release their potential, but it can't sit inside of them. It has to be broken here today. So God, I pray that as we shatter these limits, you let your Holy Spirit fill everybody in this room. Transform us and let us leave different from the way we were when we walked in. Ready? Students, let's say it. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Two, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Three, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Throw it down. Make your way to the front. Answer the question, what do you want me to do for you?
pressing in. The worship team doesn't dictate the fervency of your prayers to God. Your heart does. So whether the worship team is going in or not, you are in and you are pressing into God and you're answering the question, what do you want me to do for you? You got to answer it here today. I sense just even as I was standing on the side, the Lord was impressing upon me that there are many of you and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because this is very private, but there are many of you walking up to the front with pain. Your limitation is pain that was caused to you. Not certain things that people said about you or whatever else, but like there was something done to you. And you're afraid to break that limit because you don't want that thing to happen again. And I feel it's so heavy because you're looking for guarantees that if you're gonna live that life that God has created you to live, that you need a guarantee that nothing's gonna happen on the other side of that lid in your life. But God hasn't created you to fly under the radar. God is going to break chains here today. He is going to break chains, chains of depression, chains of confusion. He's gonna break the chains of low self-worth because of what somebody has done to you. He's gonna break the chains of lies that you've told yourself, that you started to craft your life around. You might've, just like we said in that verse, you might be building your life from a place of fear and not a place of power, love, and sound mind. He's gonna break those chains. What I'm not gonna do, because I don't feel led to do this, I think this is a very personal time with you and God. I think you need to go to God and confess that pain. Just you and God, confess that pain and say, God, in place of that pain, pain Release it with potential unleashed. Release it with power. Release it with love. Replace it with a sound mind. So all across this room, let's keep answering that question, Jesus, or what we want God to, we want God to do for us. But let's also, if you need to confess pain, confess pain and let him wipe it away because he gives beauty for ashes. He gives joy for mourning and he replaces and upgrades. He takes you to another level. Others of you are entrenched in sin in your life. And even though you made a decision last night, between last night and this morning, you made decisions to go back to that sin, you might need to confess it because that's what's necessary to remove it from your life. So between you and God, confess it. And as the worship team goes, I want you to get free. I want you to get free. Don't walk out of here with that pain. Don't walk out of here with that sin. Get free and see a perfect vision of what God has for your future. So God, as we lift our hands again, you are asking us, what do you want me to do for you? God, I pray that as we confess pain, you remove pain. As we confess chains, you remove chains. As we confess sin, you remove sin. And replace it with your power, love, and sound mind. Here we go.